that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews at the end of chapter 6. But I'd really just like to take a quick overview with you on the book of Hebrews because scripture is always so precious. That's our anchor. And when you're passing through the storm, through the trials, the last thing the enemy wants is for you and I to open this book because he knows that's where our source of strength is because it points us to the one who is the eternal anchor of your soul and of mine. And before we um, look very quickly through the book of Hebrews, I'd just like to use John chapter 6 as an introduction to our study. Um, you may remember in John chapter 6 there is so much busyness. The Lord Jesus feeds the 5,000. And the disciples go across the lake without him in the storm. But as soon as he arrives, they're immediately at their destination. That's beautiful. And then he gives the teaching based upon the fact he not only feeds the 5,000, but he is the bread of life. And praise God, he has become the source of our life, the strength of our life, the daily sustenance of our life. And he uses that analogy and he says this hard to understand statement for so many. You must eat of my flesh and you must drink of my blood, otherwise you have no part with me. And when some heard that, even though he explains he's speaking on the spiritual realm, what do we find at the end of John chapter 6? We find this, verse number 66, John chapter 6 and verse 66 says, From that time many of his disciples went back or fell away, and walked with him no more. This is a critical time, isn't it? In the life of the disciples, he has made this very important statement, and for many that was enough. They went away from him. And dear child of God, at times we will come across in life a huge battle that almost destroys our faith and we start to question, Lord, are you real? Is this what the world has been grappling with for so many who claim he does not even exist and sadly many of the disciples left and went their own way? They walked with him no more. Can I speak to someone I trust? The word of God will speak to someone this morning. If you're in the storm of life, just read on. And I love this statement. The Lord Jesus says to the disciples, the twelve, Will you also go away? And he allows these tests in our lives to see how we are going to respond. And there is a beautiful response here that becomes to you and I a great example in the storm of life. And Peter, Simon Peter, answered him, 
Lord. Isn't that beautiful? He says, I may not be able to explain everything. And I certainly don't understand everything. But I know this absolutely fundamental fact. You are Lord. You are in absolute control. And even when I cannot see it, and when I don't understand it, I know that you are not only in control of every circumstance, but you hold my life in your hand. And I am precious to you. Lord, he says, to whom shall we go? On the basic human level, you would say, humanly speaking, there is no other option. But let's lift it up to say, Christ is absolutely incomparable. Who can ever reach the standard, the beauty, the glory, the greatness of our Savior? He is incomparable. You taste the pleasures of this world. You follow the ethics of this world. They're all pointless and empty. To who can we go? What does he say? You have the words of eternal life. He says we have tasted in you something that no one else can ever give and this world definitely can never satisfy. You have the words of eternal life and praise God we have them and we take it to another level as the start of the gospel. He is the very source of life. We found in him that he is everything. But Peter continues and he says... We have come to believe and we know. Isn't that what we need in the storm? We need a solid rock to stand on. He says we have come to believe and we know beyond any shadow of doubt that you are the Christ. You are the sent one of God. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. You have come into this world for this very fact. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the living God revealed in human form so that we can know and touch our eternal God. Oh dear child of God, in the storms of life, in the doubts and uncertainties, we need to rest upon that same foundation. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if I'm speaking to someone here this morning and you don't have that assurance, may God touch your soul today to come to realize that Christ is incomparable and he is the need or the one who can meet your every need today. And really that bounces me into the book of Hebrews. Because just as you and I may be struggling or our whole world is struggling with so many things and question marks over who Jesus Christ really is. And these Hebrew believers, they have come to Christ. But perhaps they're still thinking back to what they have left in the old covenant, the law, the prophets, the angelic ministry. And they're at this point of doubt and uncertainty. So what is the answer to that uncertainty? 
throughout the book of Hebrews the spirit of God constantly chapter after chapter points us to the one who is better who is greater who is beyond compare and I trust as we leave our short time this morning we will have our eyes fixed not so much upon the circumstance not upon the doubts but on the one who is above every circumstance and who is inherently, intrinsically incomparable he is greater than all now I know we're going to move quickly but I just want to give you a very quick view of Hebrews and a lot of this morning we'll be reading brief comment, reading brief comments so that we are focused upon who Jesus Christ is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1 begins in this way God oh yes he is real he is there he is the fundamental start to everything Genesis 1 verse 1 in the beginning God you see we must have a beginning with God He must become the source and foundation of everything. God, this same God who spoke at various times and in different ways to the fathers by the prophets, He has spoken. So many in our world just fail to realize the implication of that. He has spoken once and for all. He spoke in many ways in the past by different revelations, but He has spoken in these final times. In whom? In His Son. Oh, cling on to that dear fact. God has not hidden himself that the atheists would claim, where is he? We don't hear him. We don't see his revelation. God has spoken, and that's a whole different topic. Cling on to the fact he has spoken. He has revealed himself, not now, piecemeal, little by little. He has spoken in his Son. He is the absolute, complete revelation of the heart of God. And he says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. And the Father has given all things into my hand. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son is willing to reveal him. He has spoken as the word, the final complete communication of God. John 1 verse 18, you know the verse well. No one has seen God at any time. The only Son, or some translations, the one who is God, has fully revealed Him. We are blessed to have an absolute, complete revelation of God here in this world. God revealed in human form. So who is this one that God has spoken through? Verse 3 gives us several characteristics. Number one, he is the very brightness of his glory. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The God of glory who spoke to Abraham, that was Jesus Christ. He is the excellence, the outshining of his glory. And to other Old Testament saints, he is the outshining, the brightness of his glory. He is the exact impression, the express image of his person. Oh dear child of God, this awesome eternal God has stepped into time to communicate with you and with me. And we place our faith upon that solid rock and foundation. 
We're also told that this same one, he is the heir of all things, number one. Number two, he is the creator of all things, number two. Number three, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He is absolute and complete. Everything is under his control. And yet this awesome being has stepped into time for you and for me to give us his full revelation. Isn't that incredible? And beyond that, we read at the end of verse number three, this one who upholds everything by the word of his power, he himself went willingly to the cross to finish once and for all with the matter of sin. By himself, he has purged, removed completely the sin question. And he is now seated at the right hand of God. The work is finished. God has spoken. Typically in chapter 1, we're mentioned of this one who is far greater than any angelic being. We're told at the end of this chapter, they are simply ministering spirits sent to minister to folks like you and me. That was important to the Jewish people because in the start of chapter 2 it confirms that God spoke through angelic ministry in the past. But it's not unto angels that he said, you are my son, verse number 5. No, to the son, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. What a beautiful relationship there. And being the son, the full expression of the heart of God. All the angels of God not only worship him, but in verse number 6 there is coming a day when they will be seen to worship him when he returns into this world to pick up his rule, power and dominion. Very quickly, chapter 1 reveals three titles of the Lord Jesus. He is the Son. That is not a diminutive term. The background, I come from Africa, they would use that almost in a diminutive way in their local language. No, no, no. This is the one who is the full expression of the heart of the Father. He is the Son of God in the sense that He is God stepped into human form to reveal to you and me who God really is. He is the Son. But then in verse number 8, we're told to the Son, He says, Your throne, O God is forever and ever. Title number two, this one who is the Son, the Father in divine communication, speaks to his Son and says, Your throne, O God. The Father refers to him as being on equal level in every sense with him. Your throne, O God, is forever and forever. Isn't that incredible? That this one whose throne is eternal before he is seen upon that throne. He was seen upon a cross for you and for me. But he's not only the Son and God. In verse number 10 in the Hebrew language, he is Yahweh or Jehovah. You, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. He is the Son. He is God. He is Yahweh, the eternal self-existent one. Praise God, that is the one who has come into time to speak to you and me. Very quickly in chapter 2, we're brought face to face with the first man who was created in this world. Chapter 2, God speaking in verse number 5, 6, 7 and 8, 
Yes, he put all things under the control of Adam, the first man. But as we know, Adam lost that situation, lost that position, brought the sinful nature, brought death. And so we're not looking at Adam's order of man. Verse number 9, we see Jesus. We're not looking back to the first man. We're looking up to the second man. We're not thinking of the one who is made of the dust of the ground. We're thinking of the one who is the Lord out of heaven. We see Jesus, Jehovah Yahweh in human form, Jehovah the Savior, who was made a little lower. You see, Adam had no choice. He was made lower than the angels placed in the garden. But this heavenly man, out of the very desire of his heart, he willingly humbled himself to take that position lower than the angels. Why? He did it. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Adam brought sin and suffering. This man willingly came into this world to endure the penalty of sin and experience suffering so that he, by the grace of God, may taste death. Adam brought death. The scourge of our world, this intruder into time, came through the first man, Adam. The second man came to taste death. And verse 14, and to destroy the one who had the power of death. And to set you and I, verse 15, free, who've been under the slavery of sin and death. He is far greater. And just in case I miss another point, a beautiful point here, you see Adam's children and sons are on their way to destruction. But we see Jesus who is bringing many sons to glory. (laughs) Praise God for him. Verse 10 and 11. But now, having tasted death, having gone through this experience, what is his role today? You see, at the end of the chapter, this one has gone through all of these experiences in order to be our great high priest, our faithful high priest. He has tasted death, and as you go through the experiences, pain and suffering and hurt and separation that comes through death, he says, I've been there, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Dear child of God, if you're battling with that this morning, may Christ fill your heart with his love and his high priestly ministry. He's been there. And he will be with you every step of the way. He is a faithful and incredible high priest, verse 18, in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able. Isn't that beautiful? This makes him absolutely applicable to aid, to comfort, to succor, to uplift those who are going through trials. So we don't look to angels, we look to Christ. We don't look to the first Adam, we look to the second one, who is Christ. He is greater than all. In chapter 3, we then brought another comparison. Someone so important to the Hebrew nation, Moses. He is introduced, but before we read of Moses, we're focused again, verse 1, upon this apostle and high priest of our confession. You see, we're constantly focused upon him, and this is what we need in the uncertainty. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace I better not um, dwell there too long let's move on verse number 2 who was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all his house so in a sense there seems to be a similarity a comparison here with faithfulness and yet suddenly as you move on he has been counted worthy verse 3 of more glory than Moses why? he is the builder of the house with more glory than the house that tabernacle that was built in the wilderness came from our glorious Saviour and Lord but not only that he is verse 6 a son over the house he's not only the builder of the house he is in charge of everything in the house and can I just bounce on from this because it says of <clears throat> whose house we are we're not looking back to the tabernacle we're thinking of the house of God today the church that he is building on this rock I will build my church praise God for that he is a greater than Moses because he is the builder of the house chapter 4 just takes us on a step further because Moses could not enter the land Joshua took the people into the land what an amazing experience that was into the promised land and yet verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 4 if Joshua had given them rest you see he could not bring them into rest he could bring them into the land but he couldn't give them rest and dear child of God no person or other avenue in this world can give you rest to your heart and your soul we need a greater than Joshua because it says then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day but there remains therefore a rest for the people of God and how do we come into that rest by this very wonderful communication of God read for yourself Matthew 11 verse 26 27 the words we've quoted already the Father has given all things into my hands and then he just says come unto me I will give you rest once and for all for eternity and he says take my yoke upon you verse 29 you will find rest for your souls he gives us eternal rest and daily rest in him and you see he knows if we come into that rest because verse 12 and 13 are so clear the word of God is living and powerful a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart nothing is hidden from him we are known intrinsically and individually to God if we are in that rest but if we are in that rest isn't it beautiful verse 14 to 16 we have this great high priest and daily we can come into that rest that he has offered for you and me verse 16 therefore come boldly to the throne of grace isn't that beautiful any time the throne of grace is available for you and me it should have been a great white throne but incredible it's a throne of grace because he has brought us rest 
Let me just mention quickly the end of the verse, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is a God who gives mercy and grace. And I'm not sure, dear child of God, sometimes in my experience, let me put the practical example like this. Sometimes when the burden is heavy, in his mercy, he will remove the burden. But at other times when the burden is heavy, in his grace, he will strengthen the back to carry the burden. And only he knows what is best in that situation. But in whatever sense, we have the way open to the throne of grace. Chapter 5 through to chapter 8 is a big section. And it takes us back to the priesthood of old and the priestly service. And I think for sake of time, let's just jump to chapter 7. You see, because at the end of chapter 7, verse 28, the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath that came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. And this comes out of the statement in verse 17. He testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in the Israeli nation in the tribe of the Levites there is no eternal priesthood the priest would serve perhaps for 40 years feeling some of the burden that the other Israelites were carrying but he himself was intrinsically sinful also but we have a great high priest who is forever Oh dear child of God, that same one who is there to intercede and help people like the initial disciples, the Apostle Paul and others, is there available for you today? He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is a priest forever. And verse 25, the beauty of those words, verse 24, because he continues forever having an unchangeable and untransferable priesthood, He is able to save completely. Praise God for that anchor. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. And who is this high priest? Verse 26, he is fitting for us. He is suitable for you And for me, in every phase of life, he is absolutely suitable. He is holy, blameless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Oh, what a blessing. Dwell on those words this morning in your own time. We are incredibly blessed. Let me just summarize that section in chapter 8 and verse number 6. But now 
he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Go through the book. He is better. Things are more excellent, higher, greater. Consider this man. He has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a far more excellent covenant which was established on far more excellent promises. Apologies if I quote through the African language. It's far more excellent because he is far more excellent. You see, we have a far more excellent covenant that is based upon a far more excellent work that brings to you and I far more excellent promises. We have everything in Christ. Let me just stop for a moment. Every false cult and false teaching is recognized by this fact that Christ is not sufficient. You can have Christ, but it's Christ plus miracles or healing or prosperity or tongues or the Sabbath or whatever it may be. Dear child of God, in Jesus Christ, you have everything. Because he is everything. Colossians 1, Colossians 2, you are complete in him. You're lacking for nothing. Colossians chapter 3, he is all that matters. You need nothing else. You have the complete heart of God in Jesus Christ. And this chapter introduces us to this new covenant. Praise God how that would have spoken to the Jewish people. They've been set free from the old covenant, the yoke that they could not bear. And now there is this new covenant in Jesus Christ. By the way, a study in itself, in Christ everything is new. Praise God for that. We'll find that a little bit more later. Chapter 9 and 10 really introduces us to the comparison of the old method of worship to what we have now in Jesus Christ. They had the temple system. Yes, they had the priests. They had the offerings, the daily sacrifices. Our brother referred to chapter 10 this morning. But we have something so much better. We won't take the time, but these things were just a picture. Paul tells us here, sorry not Paul, I, yeah, whoever wrote this epistle, he is the one who tells us these were just symbols. Pictures pointing to something far greater. greater. These were earthly pointing us to the heavenly sanctuary. And so he says in chapter 9, let me just quote uh, verse 13 and 14, If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified for the purifying of the flesh, in some way covered and set them apart, making them holy before God. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God. The whole of deity was involved in Calvary. This is the once and supreme sacrifice. How much more shall this once and for all sacrifice cleanse your conscience from dead works, make you a completely new creation in his sight to serve the living God? Verse 20. Five, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the age, 
he or ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He has put it away. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, that scapegoat would take away the sins of the nation into that deserted place. But next year it would happen again. And it would happen again. But at Calvary, once and for all, He has taken away completely, once and for all, the sin of the world. He is the supreme and ultimate sacrifice. Very quickly, verse 27. Yes, there is an appointment with death. And yes, that is followed by judgment. But because of that, God knowing your situation and mine, Christ was offered once to deal with the matter of sin so that now we look for him the second time. Oh, praise God, he's coming back again. He will return. Chapter 10, a beautiful section. Let me just quote verse 11, 12 and 14. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sin. Read those first three words of verse 12. But this man. Oh, what an incredible comparison. Turning our eyes upon him. Don't look at the angels, look at Christ. Don't look at Adam, look at Christ. Don't look at Moses, look at Christ. Don't look at Joshua, the Old Testament system. Christ is greater and better. Look at him. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for all time, forever, once and for all, he sat down. And what is the impact of that offering? Verse 14, by one offering, he has perfected forever. Oh dear child of God, when the enemy brings the doubts and brings the accusation, point him to Christ. He has perfected forever, once and for all, in the sight of God. Positionally, you are perfect and complete through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He has perfected forever those who are being daily sanctified, set apart for him. We have a glorious, incredible Saviour. And so verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the most holiest of all, by the blood of Jesus, there is a new and living way. Don't go back to the old system of the Lord. He's pleading with his audience who will read this letter. We have a new and living way, right into the holiest of all. Praise God for that. And he, verse 37, is the one who has said, A little while, I will come. Just a little while. He that shall come, will come. And he will not tarry or delay. Praise God, perhaps today, this one shall return. And not through the eyes of faith we will see him face to face. I'll just draw your attention to verse 39. We're not those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of our souls. How blessed to be amongst the redeemed, to belong to God. Chapter 11 takes us into this beautiful family of faith. And that's important because... 
the start of chapter 10 the law was a shadow but faith is substance and reality he's just underlying and again in Christ we have everything faith is the substance of things for the evidence of things not seen you see long before the sacrifices came and the law was given you have the whole book of Genesis the foundation of faith by faith this man this man this man this lady they lived for God it may be an Abel it may be an Enoch it may be a Noah or an Abraham why is faith so important verse number 6 without faith it is impossible to please God. Don't go back to the works of the Lord. Faith is the only foundation for a relationship with God. Where you stand and simply say, whatever God has said, I believe He will do it. I take God at His word, the acrostic, forsaking all. I trust Him. It's not about me and who I am or what I can do. It's all about God for who He is, what He has done, and what He can do. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That doesn't just mean the once and for all experience of salvation. That also means day by day in my life. If I'm not living by faith, the just shall live by faith. I'm not pleasing to God. Without faith, it's impossible. So what is faith? He says, he who comes to God, the foundation of faith, is a relationship coming to God recognizing that he exists in all his greatness and awesome power I in all my unworthiness I come to him why? because number two I recognize that he is the rewarder of all who seek him with all their heart diligently search for him oh dear friend today if you're here without this foundation God promises if you seek for me with all your heart you will find me he has not hidden himself he's available for all to come to him he is the rewarder and as you go through that beautiful chapter we find at the end of chapter 11 all these verse 39 obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us not that we are better than them He's provided something better for us. And what is the better thing? We have this cloud of witnesses, yes, in chapter 12, verse 1. But in verse 2, the better thing is in the path of faith. We are looking unto Jesus. You see, the better thing we have found, we have the one who is the author and finisher of faith. He's the originator and the perfecter or completer of faith. In our race of faith, we have one to look upon. The ultimate of faith, it's Jesus Christ. For the joy that was set before him. Evidence of things not seen. He endured the cross and despised the shame and chapter 12 will tell us as children as sons there are times of discipline but praise God there will never be times of judgment because as chapter 12 concludes verse 18 you have not come to the mountain to the Lord to Sinai that may be touched 
and are burned with fire. We haven't come to Zion. Sorry to Sinai, my humble apologies. We haven't come to the Mount of Zion. We have come, verse 22, to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Get your eyes off of the physical, the earthly, the temple. Temporal, there is the heavenly, the spiritual, and eternal. We have come to that. Verse 23, to the joyful congregation assembly of the church of the firstborn. And verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator. He is everything. We have come to him. We have what is better and greater and higher. And so in conclusion, chapter 13, he says this, you're in the new covenant. The one key fact in this new covenant, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. That's the command in the new covenant. And based upon being in this new covenant, the end of verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can be content with what we have because we have the one who's far greater than anything this world can give here in this world of time. We have the one who will never leave us or forsake us. Verse 6, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He's not distant. He's right there. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Because verse 8, it's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one who went outside the camp. Verse number 12, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Yes, we're in the outside place in this world, but that's where he is. And so that's where we want to be to be with him and while we're in the outside place verse 14 we recognize here in this world we have no continuing city this is not our home we're temporary residents in this world instead we seek one to come and knowing that let us offer the sacrifice of praise to him not to go back to the old form system of sacrifices but the sacrifice of praise to God the fruit of our lips and to do good. Finally, verse number 20. What a beautiful end to this whole epistle. May the God of peace. Through Jesus Christ, we've come to know the God of peace. We have the peace of God. The past is all understanding because we have peace with God. The one who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. He's that great shepherd of the sheep. Dear child of God. He's there as your shepherd every day of your life. To watch over, to care, to look after, to provide, to lift up. In those times of need, praise God for him. And lastly, verse 25, grace be with you all. Amen. That's in a nutshell a very quick bird's eye view of this epistle. I encourage you to read it more in depth. And to study it. Because at times we're drawn almost to say, Lord, this is too much. Don't leave him. He has the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that he is the Christ. The son of the living God. 
You may be going into college and your lecturers are throwing all sorts of arguments against you. Dear friend, he is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And to believe in God, you don't have to throw away your academic mind. He's greater than that. He's the greatest of all scientists, the greatest of all designers. You may be going through a time of real stress and pressure, unhealth, whatever it may be, losing a precious loved one. He is there for you. And when the enemy brings in the doubts, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you because we have the one who is greater and better and higher than all. Father, just thank you for a wonderful living word of God that we have and we need it. We're in a world of challenge, of doubt, of spiritual warfare. Preserve each one of us here this morning as we walk through the valley of this world to fix our eyes upon the one who is absolutely unique who is transcendent who is always there who will never leave us and never forsake us I commit to you each dear child of God in this local assembly you know their pathway you know the challenges they face May they prove our Savior as this faithful, compassionate, loving High Priest who's with them every step of the way and encourage this company of your people as they seek to worship and witness for you. May you be exalted. Commit the time this afternoon to you in the park. O Lord, may the Holy Spirit do his work and if this is of you, just for each one of us to be a channel to bring blessing to one dear soul, we commit it all to you. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, amen.